Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to hear some of the recent interviews and guests that we featured on JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg was with us from the Rothenberg Law Firm to discuss the holiday of Hanukkah and some of the things people should keep in mind, both at the end of 2018 and during the big holiday. Uh, Harry Rothenberg of the Rothenberg Law Firm on this edition of JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Tuesday morning broadcast, JM in the AM, guess what? Hanukkah begins Sunday night. No joke. Hanukkah's right around the corner. And we wish everybody a happy, healthy, wonderful Hanukkah, but also a safe Hanukkah. There are a lot of things that need to be kept in mind, both Hanukkah-related and this time of year-related. And Harry Rothenberg, who's a partner at the uh, Rothenberg Law Firm, InjuryLawyer.com, is with us live via telephone. In addition to um, having a Parsha vlog every week, that we love featuring, and that uh, really takes care of uh, a lot of good, um, a lot of good spiritual stuff <laughs> before Shabbos. And there's also some uh, very important messages regarding the law and safety that need to be that need to be um, uh, said, and uh, we need to remind the community about as we get closer and closer to Hanukkah. Harry Rothenberg, partner at the Rothenberg Law Firm, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. Always nice to be back. I appreciate that. All right, so I guess the most obvious is that, uh, and, and I, I'm going to put it this way in a very positive uh, in a very positive vein. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last couple of decades, the uh, I think the community in general has really, really um, made sure to implement uh, systems and implement procedures that would uh, call for as uh, as much safety regarding fire, candles, etc. as possible. What I mean by that is if you look at the old days, so to speak, a lot of people were a little bit negligent, a little bit more lax when it came to where to light and what's near what you are lighting. And I think that uh, both in the dormitory settings and the public settings, people are becoming much, much more aware of all the danger, God forbid, that could occur uh, because of the Hanukkah candles, so kudos to everybody for that, and I know that you have a uh, that you have plenty of reminders for people about how important it is to stay safe this time of year, especially when it comes to the Hanukkah candles. Yeah, I certainly agree that we're heading in the right direction. Uh, organizations and individuals have done a great job getting the word out, uh, specifically with respect to how to prepare and how to stay safe. But we're not there yet. Until there are zero fires on Hanukkah, we're not there yet. And and with that in mind, we remind people that uh, where they're lighting in their own home, whether it's, uh, I don't know, close to furniture, close to curtains, etc., and uh, where they're lighting in public places, um, uh, certainly, like I said, a lot of, uh, a lot of institutions that uh, have dormitories, etc., have gone the really smart route of designating a specific place in the building for people to light. Uh, I know there's a preference. People want to light where they sleep, etc., but, but they've, they've understood that it's more important to be as safe as possible, and those uh, and those restrictions and those guidelines are certainly welcome this time of year. Now, unfortunately, and you could say this from experience, you've seen the damage that can be done when things do get out of control when it comes to candles, fires, etc. Not just Hanukkah, but other times of year as well. Um, what can you tell people about the the God forbid unbelievable uh, a, a, a damage that can be done if they're not careful in this regard? Well, it's, look, the dangers of fire are obvious. They're, it's a danger to, uh, to persons, uh, that lives have, have been lost and can be lost, uh, and danger to property, less important, but also important. 
And I'm not a rabbi. I only play one once a week on TV. (laughs) For us. Exactly. But my understanding is that the halacha that mandates lighting does not also force someone to put their own lives or the lives of their children or the lives of their neighbors in danger. Right. And unfortunately, we have too many examples of that where people's lives were put in danger and the absolute worst has happened. So everybody out there, please, we remind you, as you get set to uh, start preparing, and there are people already, I'm sure, who are taking out the Hanukkiot, who are putting up the uh, Hanukkah menorahs, uh, be extra careful in judging where they're going to be lit and um, what's around where the uh, where the menorah is, and we should hopefully make this as safe a Hanukkah as possible. And by the way, you've, you've been on, or your colleagues have been on in the past, uh, talking about what goes on in the kitchen, how dangerous that can be in terms of injuries, etc. And there's a lot of oil, a lot of oil being cooked and a lot of different uh, delicacies being made that, again, if you're too close or if someone of a certain age is too close to that stove, it could get very dangerous. Right. I mean, I like to say that we can borrow halacha from kashras. You can have a, you should have a mashkiach tamidi, somebody who's yotzev nichnas. You know, if you've got fires burning, whether it's the Hanukkah candles, whether it's in the kitchen, keep an eye out. Somebody should be going in and going out. Um, and if somebody has got to light and then leave the home, well, that's why Hashem invented the local Orthodox rabbi. And I think that's a conversation that people should have. Yeah. Uh, is there a dispensation to put the, the candles out after the required minimum, minimum amount of time if we have to leave the house so that we don't leave candles burning in the house? Yeah, that's another aspect that I think has, uh, has really uh, become a very important part of the education of our community. There are many rabbis who would advise that, that once the time limit, so to speak, has been passed, uh, or the time requirement has been passed, um, that those candles might be able to be put out. Again, consult with your local rabbi. Harry Rothenberg is with us. Um, all right, uh, this is a very interesting time of year because um, there are a lot of celebrations going on. There are Hanukkah celebrations and family celebrations, which are wonderful, uh, but there are also corporate celebrations. There are year-end parties that people attend, etc. And I think that um, very often people don't understand legally um, the level of liability that a host of a party or uh, or a supervisor of a party might have. What could you tell us about this topic? Well, I could tell you that we are actively involved uh, right now and at any given time in cases against hosts who have served alcohol to people who were visibly impaired, and those people have gone out, gotten into accidents, and killed or maimed others. Uh, so the, 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 there's, the responsibility is on the host. Uh, there are laws that, that require the host to be careful when dispensing alcohol, both to people who are visibly impaired and to minors. And when you say host, you don't just mean someone who's hosting in their own home. I would guess you mean somebody who has invited people to a restaurant and they're supervising or they're the ones in charge, so to speak, Uh, and maybe even people in the restaurant uh, themselves, right? Of course, in any fashion. We have those cases going on against individuals, against restaurants, against bars at any given time. Has any of this uh, changed in terms of how much someone is allowed to drink uh, and then drive? I mean, I, 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 I believe... I remember reading that the uh, alcohol level, the acceptable alcohol level, has in fact uh, been reduced and one can't drink as much as they used to. Is that true? So I can't tell you specifically because it can vary state to state, um, but, but my general rule of thumb is this. If you have to ask the question as to whether you can drive, you can't drive. <laughs> right. Keep it simple. Well, that is a very good piece of advice. Uh, so year-end parties, everybody out there has to be extremely careful and if you're hosting that party, realize your level of liability. Hanukkah, we spoke about it. Anything else this time of year that, that you think would be a good time to, um, to remind people about in terms of specific episodes or incidents? I, I do want to go back to the Hanukkah candles for a second sure. because I think there's one, one more bit of advice. 
Um, you mentioned preparing where to light, and obviously you have to light the candles away from drapes, away from furniture, away from curtains, uh, which is the, the most common uh, way that the Hanukkah candles can start a fire. Uh, what, by moving them away from furniture, from drapes, etc., what you also can do and should do is create a pathway so that you can get to both sides of the table on which you're lighting. And that's important because, thank God, to the extent we've often been blessed with large families, you'll have families that are lighting menorahs in rows. And it's very dangerous to reach over a lit menorah to light a second one. You'll say, who would ever do that? And the answer is, well, you might light the first one, the one furthest away from you, then light the one closer to you, and then the light goes out on the one further away, and you reach over, which is a no-no, better to walk around the table and relight it from the other side. So you're, and this is an interesting suggestion, and I'm just thinking back to when my kids were small and got a little too close to the candles at times. Uh, you're suggesting leave an aisle, so to speak, on both sides of each Hanukkah, right? Correct, around the table. So you can get at the ones on the, that, are, that are on the other side without reaching over lip, a lip menorah. Hmm. A lesson that I learned the hard way myself many years ago when I accidentally set my shirt on fire. Managed to put it out without injury, but not something that I want to do again. Isn't it, want anyone else to do again. isn't it funny how the most obvious thing uh, is something we've never thought of before? But, yes. th- but that's, a, that's a good setup piece of advice. Everybody out there, a lot of people already are getting their big menorahs ready and their small menorahs ready for Sunday night. Keep that in mind. Leave as much room as possible that you don't have to reach over a lit flame and light a menorah. Just another good tip. Harry Rothenberg with us from the Rothenberg Law Firm. And Harry, as you always say, and your colleagues always say, you don't want to hear from anybody. You'd prefer not to hear from anybody. Uh, you'd like everyone to be as safe as possible and keep this as uh, as safe a a chag as possible. Obviously, if anybody would need you for any reason, uh, it's injurylawyer.com. Uh, but again, you would prefer if everybody uh, if everybody gets into their it gets into situations where they where they are safe and sound and would have no reason to contact you guys. Amen. Stay safe. I thank you so much for joining us, and a happy Hanukkah to you. You're very welcome, and thank you, and to you as well. Big thank you to the Rothenberg Law Firm. Uh, Harry Rothenberg is a partner, and you uh, have all the information you need on the website, injurylawyer.com, injurylawyer.com. They can be of any help with anything, but as they always stress, and they've proved it through this show, uh, they would prefer if everybody takes as many precautions as possible, stays away from all the problems, legal and otherwise, most important, the, uh, the safety situations. Uh, make it as safe a Hanukkah as possible. And as you're hosting or uh, inviting people to participate in year-end celebrations, which are so common in these parts, uh, realize the liability that you could be uh, faced with if, God forbid, the uh, absolute worst happens and one of your guests uh, ends up taking someone else's life because of their bad decisions regarding drinking. Understand the responsibility of those who are hosting these events and who are supervising the events in their restaurants and public places. That was my conversation with uh, Harry Rothenberg. The Rothenberg Law Firm wishes everybody a happy Hanukkah, as do we. Any information about their work, go to injurylawyer.com. Well, I mentioned that uh, anybody who is uh, set to light Hanukkah candles should listen first to my conversation with Ari Mordechai Kanelsky, and that's what follows. My conversation with Ari Mordechai Kanelsky that spoke about his uh, return trip to Moscow after 49 years and what Hanukkah was like in hiding in a suburb of Moscow. Right, Mordechai Kanelsky, a recent guest of ours on JMNAM, now on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. I am begging everybody who's listening right now not to turn us off. Don't turn us off. You're, if, you're, 
If you're a listener of JM and the AM for any length of time, you're going to find this conversation very interesting. Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky, how many times have I spoken with him on the air? Probably over 100 times over the years I've spoken with him on our uh, program uh, on JM and the AM. And I remind you, Rabbi Kanelsky, who's the executive director of Bris Avram, and he and his wife, Sterney, do a remarkable job with the organization. Uh, he left Russia as a kid in 1970. And again, for those of you with the historical perspective, you know how significant that was to, to leave Russia at that time. Left as a kid in 1970, went to Israel, came to the United States in 1976, and began Bris Avram, which has been such an effective and incredible organization, in 1979. Uh, this week, Rabbi Kanelsky uh, did another very interesting thing to add to his list of interesting things that he's done. Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Dobry day. Whoa, 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 excuse me, what does that mean? Uh, what a fresh day, a beautiful day for you. Uh, what happened to a uh, good Morgan Reb uh, Listen, after being a week in Moscow, <laughs> I, I, I am trying to remember how to speak a little bit of Russian. Now, you did tell me, and I'm assuming this is, you know, the, the, you don't mind it being for public consumption, you did tell me when the opportunity came for you, for the first time in 48 years, right, because you left in 1970, when the opportunity came for you to go back to Russia, to go back to Moscow, you were somewhat nervous. Would that be a, an accurate way of putting it? Um, no, not not so much nervous. Very nervous. And that was because? Because being in Russia for me in 1960s, from 1968 to 1970, for two years, I did not saw the sunshine. I was hiding in a cellar and learning Taylor as a child who is eight years old, and I did not have the privilege to see the sunshine. Because if you're in Russia, you have to go to school on Shabbos. You have to sit with other yarmulke, and needless to say, you cannot wear scissors. And my father and mother should be healthy, made sure that I understand the importance of Taylor Mitzvah. And I made that decision as a child that I will hide in a cellar and I will not leave the house until with miraculously miracles of God, I will leave Russia. And from the age of eight till that age that I left Russia, I was hiding in a cellar and for me, Russia is a nightmare. And uh, I got a lot of requests for all the years to come there, to speak, <clears throat> to visit. But I was afraid. And finally, last week, Rabbi Lazar and his staff convinced me and my wife, and we went to Russia for the first time in 49 years. I left 1970 February, and I came back 1970, in November. And uh, from the airport, we went the first time to see my house where I was hiding. And unfortunately, the owners were not there, and a second owner from the house uh, did not want to open up the house. He had a big dog, so he, he threatened us we should leave. And that's it. And but my wife did not give up, and we pray to God. And 
being in a restaurant in Bronya, that is one of the shows that is on the Chabad, I've been in a restaurant there, eating with my brother, who is a shliach of the rabbi in Moscow. Next table to us was sitting a family and eating dinner. And that was the only table that was available for my brother to have dinner, him and his wife and me and my wife. And the, the people on the table look at me and they say, are you the child from Alakafka? That's the portrait of, of me that I was born. I said, yes. I says, how do you know me? He says, well, we were here in your show in Brisa Avroham just a few years ago with a group from Russia that Rabbi Lazar sent, and you spoke to us about it. And what a coincidence. I says, not not. It's Hashgokha Protis, that we are sitting table next to, next to table. And my wife burst out in tears saying, can you help us to go into that house? Then the woman says, my husband is the president of the Jewish community of Alachovka. He will be able to do everything. And within 24 hours, they called us up that he founded the owner of the house who lives in a different place. And he comes to this house only for weekends. And he will send them a car to pick them up, to bring them to the house. And on Yuteskisov, the day that the outer level was liberated from jail, that is celebrated just this Tuesday, the new year for Hasidus, I came back to Malachovka, I downed in the yeshivas, that was Malachovka. That was for me a, what to tell you? If to say this is a dream, as you say, no, that's not a dream. That's more than a dream. I never believed I was in a building that called in the college. And after that, we went to see my house where I was hiding. I went to that cellar. I couldn't go down because I'm a little bit bigger than this than when I was there, eight years old. My wife climbed into the cellar and my wife saw nothing was changed. And I was there and I saw the the the, the house, the sutra the place that I was hiding outside of the house. This, the, the, the walkway next to the house, and I used to go with my grandfather and say Tanya Bahad when I used to walk out outside at night to see the moon, because by day I just mentioned to you, I never walked out. I started to cry. It was so emotional. It was so special. This is the house that all the Hasidim used to hide there from the Russian government. And I came back to that place, and you test yourself. And I said that Tanya Bahar again on the same place. And I said what I said, Tanya, 49, 50, 51 years ago in Russia. Roy Mordechai Kanelsky is with us. I remind you, he left Russia in 1970, arrived in the U.S. in 1976, went back to Moscow, as you just heard, and spent one week there and experienced some of miracles that he just described to us. Um, and, 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 and we should mention, you saw the sunshine in Moscow. Yes, correct. I saw the sunshine in Moscow. I tell you, Nochem, uh, yeah, to see that place and to see that, that whole miracle of God, uh, my wife was so crying there. We, we, were, we were very, very emotional. And then we spoke in 17 places between my wife and myself and shared in the series of our parents 
the self-sacrifice of our, of our parents, what they did to give us the proper Jewish Jewish education, that we should be able to leave Russia and in Russia to be able to be religious Jews. And by the way, Rabbi Kanelsky, not to minimize the fear that you described earlier, but remember that, that even everything you've heard from your brother and you heard about restaurants and yeshivas and shuls that you saw with your own eyes, even with all of that, it was so difficult for you to go back and, and, and actually believe it, right? To actually believe that that's what it was like. i tell you two, two points. On Friday, I came to the mikveh that is next to the yeshiva in Moscow. And, I, and it was 12 or 5. And I saw children running around or going out from class at 12 as missile. And the, from the Hayat, and they're all speaking in Hebrew. I could not walk to the mikveh. I was just standing there and watching these children and kissing them. And they looked at me and they looked at me and they say, what are you kissing? I said, I would never dream that children in Russia would scream and speak in Hebrew in such a free way. The next day, my wife, you know, the place that you were sleeping, I went to shoe early, and my wife went a little bit later. Then I, I found a place to see a person who to walk to shoe. She walked out. And the security is not normal. Then she's watching through to the security, and she's, and she's afraid to walk because maybe it's electric. And the guard, the guy says to her, no, 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 Shabbos, it doesn't work. Don't worry. You can walk. <laughs> and then my wife says to him, show me where is the show. And he tells her, walk this way, make a left, make a right, make a left. The show is there. And my wife starts, starts to walk, and she looks back, to see if that same guy goes run after her, that he told her to go to show. And then she came to show, and she says, wow, what a miracle. The Goyim are telling us, where is the show? Don't be worried from the electrical things because it's Shabbos. It doesn't work. It's just miracles and miracles of God. Nobody would ever believe, dream, that that could happen such a thing. Unbelievable. Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky is with us. Rabbi Kanelsky, the story's amazing. And and I ho- I'm having a little bit of difficulty hearing you. The phone's a little muffled. I hope next time you come in, we get to speak about it more. But I, I must, I must, I can't give up this opportunity. There are two very, very important messages that you could help me deliver to the wonderful people who are listening right now. Uh, number one, when people consider the importance of Jewish education, when people consider, should I send my son or daughter to public school or to a day school? When people consider what is the most important thing about Jewish continuity, no matter where you are, no matter if you're from the most, uh, you know, Haredi world to most modern world, no matter where you are, if you're somebody who's concerned about Jewish continuity, we have to remember that there is nothing more important than Jewish education. Please help me remind everybody that what your parents did, they did it because they wanted to guarantee that their family for generations would be observant Torah Jews. 100%. And that was, we told him in the 60s, so my father, for him, was to make sure that I learned Torah was self-sacrifice. When I will meet you, God willing, after Hanukkah, and I will finish up to write the 125 menorahs, I will see you, I will share with you stories, what my, what my parents did for that I should get Jewish education, and what my in-laws did, that my wife should get Jewish education. 
and it's just unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And, and, and there's another very important thing, and I hope, and I know you, you're, you're going to be as passionate as I am about this. You know, you know, we joke. You and I have joked many times. You know, I've said to you before Pesach, you know, where did you take your Cholomoy trips in, in Moscow? You know, we joked about that all the time. I could only imagine what it was like to light a Chanukiah in the circumstances that you just described to us years ago in Russia. And, and, I, and now I even better understand, because I've been with you. I've been with you. I've been with you in City Hall. I've been with you on the George Washington Bridge. I've been with you when these Hanukkiyot are lit. And I can only, and, and I know because I am one, I know, you know, the feelings of an American Jewish kid when that menorah gets lit. You know, we have a certain amount of depth to, to the whole experience. But when you light it, when you're there watching 150,000 cars seeing the first night of Hanukkah, it, it must be unbelievable. Please help me. Remind everybody listening that on Sunday night, it's not just lighting and it's not just gifts and it's not just latkes. Sunday night, all of us have to think much differently when lighting the first candle on the Hanukkah. I will share with you what I said to the executive director of the Port Authority, and I think that this is a big thing for us all. When I came to speak to the executive director of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, and I asked for permission to put the menorah on the GW Bridge, and the appointment was for a certain time, and, he's been, and the, the, his, his assistant told me, Rabbi, it's exactly five minutes. And I came and I said to him, God gave us 630 mitzvahs. The mitzvah is between me and God. Nobody has to know that I'm putting tune. Nobody has to know that I'm eating matzah. And, and he understood what matzah is. He, understood, he knows what you're keeping. And I said to him, there is only one mitzvah, that the whole purpose of doing that mitzvah is everybody else should see, not me. My father could not observe that mitzvah because if my father would put a menorah outside of his house, he would sleep that night in city forever. You, Mr. So-and-so, Executive Director of the Port Authority, have an opportunity to show the entire world that here in America there is freedom of religion, there is freedom of everything, and we could put a menorah in every single place to make public that miracle. I'm asking you, please give me the permission. And at that moment, he granted the permission to put menorahs in every single bridge and every single terminal all around New York and New Jersey. And I want to tell you, there is tens of millions of travelers who are seeing the menorahs in all the bridges, in all the terminals, in all the executive offices. And the Port Authority did a tremendous job. They deserve a tremendous yasher course. And when everybody of you listeners, please, when you follow, when you travel, and you see one of the people who work in all those places, and you're telling him thank you for putting that menorah, you are not just saying thank you to him, but you're saying thank you to the everybody, and that will help that millions and millions of people will know that there is a rebellious shame in this world, there is a God in this world, and we are saying thank you to God for the miracles that he did. Baruch Sha'osu Nisimah Vesenu Bayomi Mahe Bisman Hazer. God who made the miracles for us. 
then on Hanukkah, but as this man was there, we are leaving this miracle again that we could put a menorah in Russia. The menorah will be lit in the Kremlin Sunday night, guys. People don't even understand what that. A menorah will be lit in the Kremlin this Sunday night. How much do we have to say thank you to God for this miracle that he did to us? And we will say thank you to God for all the miracles. God will bring us the greatest miracle, the coming of Mashiach Fikino. I have to thank you. You've given me an opportunity to really think about um, what we've done together sometimes. And I have to thank you that you've given me the honor to light the Hanukkah in the places that you just described. But one last message, and this is uh, the last piece to it. When, when, when you light in your own home, and I know you'll be on the bridge, and you'll be in the mall, and you'll be at City Hall. I know you'll be in a lot of places Sunday. I know it. But when you light in your own home, you're going to be thinking back to that basement. You're going to be thinking back to what it was like for your father, for your father-in-law and others there, to light a Hanukkah in those circumstances of 1960s Russia. And, and, that's a, uh, and, that, and that's a memory that should not only stick with you. Frankly, it's a thought that should stick with all of us, no? A hundred percent. And more than that, when I will, me, my wife, and my children, and our grandchildren will stay here by the line of the menorah together in our home, I will share again. I was lighting the menorah as a child, eight years old, hiding and lighting the menorah next to my father and my mother and next to my younger brothers. And today... We could do it publicly and say again, thank you, God. I think your words are going to help us appreciate the lighting Sunday night a little bit more. Maybe people will take an extra minute before they run off to all the activities to think about what the lighting is all about. I think the Hanera Salalu and the Maus Tzor will be said with a lot more concentration after what you just said. When we sing Mo's Tzur, I can only imagine how quietly you had to sing it in Russia. I think you would rec- you would recommend to everybody to sing it loudly and clearly on Sunday night. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I will leave you with a small story, with a small word. Our Rebbe's are saying, we have to listen what that candles are saying to us. Our custom is to sit next to the candles for a half hour and to look at the candles. Because that candles are telling us not just the miracle of Hanukkah, but the miracle of the Jewish nation from that first time lighting Hanukkah of candles until today. How many people did everything to light Hanukkah candles in, in Sibir, in different concentration camps? I was by a friend of mine who showed me a menorah that was that survived the Holocaust. How people used to write the menorahs to nothing and just to make that miracle, to save a, a drop of oil and to say that brocha. How precious, how privileged we are to say thank you to God that we could see with our family and we could eat the latkes after that. And we could spill the dreidel and we could celebrate Hanukkah. But the most important thing, Let's remember what the channels are saying to us. Guys, let's say thank you to God for all the great miracles that he did, doing, and will do for us. Including your miracle of, fi- of, of finally getting out 
And and I think you would say a miracle of going back and visiting and seeing everything there as well. And I will tell you, the day when I said Hakoimu, in the show, after having that leer, I said, guys, thank you so much that I left Russia. <laughs> <laughs> you were thanking God you left for the second time. <laughs> yes. The day I went to Hakoimu for the second time, in our show, I really felt, God, thank you that I left from Russia. <laughs> Rabbi Kanelsky, I, I we're we're going to talk more about this, Bezrata. I don't know where your lightings are, but if any of them or any of your visits are near here during Hanukkah, please, please stop by. If not, then we'll have an opportunity, Bezrata Hashem, after Hanukkah. And and thank you so much. And I'm so glad you and your wife, Baruch Hashem, had such an inspiring visit back to Moscow. And thank you so much for sharing that story with us as well. I will leave it to you. I was the guest speaker. In in Yevropaiskir uh, Hall, in it was just a few walking distance from the Kremlin. Tuesday night, and uh, honoring the holiday Feteski says that 220 years ago on Tuesday, the first Kibavisher Rebbe went out from jail with a victory. That after that, the Russian government, the Far family, made a Lubavitcher Rebbe family as an honorable family for generations. In that hall, 800 people, 800 people got together, and we were singing together. David And we are saying thank you to God today. I want to tell you, after all these speeches, we were dancing and dancing and dancing. It was incredible to see how many people left work. I met a person, and he says, I left work today, and you know me in Russia. Russia is still Russia. To leave work early. He said, but I cannot miss Yudas Kislev in center of Russia to celebrate. Who would ever dream that? Somebody says to me, how did you celebrate? How did you celebrate Yudas I says, in my grandparents' house, sitting used to come. And each one was carrying with him a bottle of vodka coming. And my, the bubble was shown. And my mother said, like his own, used to prepare herring, used to prepare cooked potatoes. And he had a piece of a bread, a chibola, with onions. And it's a blast. And we were afraid to sing because God forbid if somebody would hear that. We were singing and drinking with high, And the cups to be empty from the vodka and filled up with the tears of crying. God Almighty, take us out from this Russia. We should be able to save our children. God did it, and we are here. By Hanukkah Sameach. I I I am sending you a recording of this conversation because I think anybody who hears it, that you and I can can get it to, I think anybody who hears it, their Hanukkah will be enhanced by what you Thank told you. us. Thank you so much. And good young Noch. Regards to your wife. All the best. Thank you so much. Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky, he and his wife Sterney, not only leaders of Rissa Rum and have done so much for so many Jews, I could spend all day telling you. But they were back in Moscow last week for the first time since 1970. And we could not have timed this better. What important lessons about Jewish education, what important lessons about our attitude toward Jewish holidays, and in this case, the Hanukkah that Rabbi Kanelsky just gave us. That was my conversation with Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky. I hope everybody who heard it will encourage others to listen to it before the next time they light 
Hanukkah candles. Rabbi Ilan Habert was on a recent JM in the AM discussing the incredible work of JLIC. JLIC, a division of the OU, is very active on many college campuses and playing a very important role on those campuses. Rabbi Ilan Haber, a recent guest of ours on JMNAM, here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, Rabbi Ilan Haber is with us live via telephone. And um, I, I honestly believe he's one of the luckiest people uh, in this country because uh, the OUJLIC program, which has amazing couples on college campuses around the country, um, really being, you know, the mother and father away from home uh, for so many students. That's essentially the, the role that they play. They're, they're really uh, helping to keep, um, you know, Jewish tradition and the amazing atmosphere of the Jewish family uh, alive for those students who are, uh, who are away from home, attending college. And as part of the uh, OU, um, uh, as part of the OU uh, JLIC uh, mission, I guess we'd call it, the OU JLIC College Guide 2018 has been released. It's a brand new publication. It does go through campus profiles for Yeshiva University and Turo College. Obviously, those are universities under Jewish auspices. But in addition, 21 OU JLIC college campuses around the United States of America. Rabbi Elon Haber, welcome to JM in the AM. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be able to join you. I appreciate that. Well, National Director of JLIC, am I right that you're one of the luckiest people in this country? Absolutely. I uh, really feel fortunate to be able to be in such a position and, to, you know, to, to have this perch to be able to help so many students on campus. And I think the way I put it, you know, as dramatic as it sounds, is, is pretty accurate. The, they are filling the role of, uh, I don't know, parent, mentor, older brother and sister. Say whatever you want. They're there to help the students, you know, make their way through the college experience and at the same time really give them a taste of uh, you know that continued Jewish home feeling that they've gotten in their own home, own home over all these years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's really very much an accurate portrayal of, I believe, our unique niche. Um, it's interesting because when the program was originally intended, it was primarily to be thought of as a Jewish learning program, and there are thousands of students that are taking part in our uh, regular Torah learning and, you know, uh, special shiurim that we give, right. um, and chabruta learning. Um, but I think one of the things that make us particularly uh, important is the pastoral and halakha counseling um, and the support that we give to students on a day-in and day-out basis, just on the individual touch. Amazing. Really incredible. Rabbi Ilan Haber is uh, with us. He's the director of, uh, national director of JLIC. Now, before we get to the college guide, um, I, I, you know, there are people listening right now. I'm taking it for granted that everyone's heard of JLIC, but there are people listening right now, especially parents, who need to know that JLIC exists and it exists under the auspices of the OU, and that it's on 21 campuses at this point. Is that an accurate number, 21? Um, so we're now at 21 campuses on a full-time basis, and we have a part-time program in uh, a 22nd uh, program in uh, Western University in Los Angeles. Uh, for graduate students. Because there is a large Jewish presence in Western University in Los Angeles? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people go there for to, to go to dental school and other um, medical-related programs. Oh, so and, you're not, you're not uh, just helping undergrads. You're helping those who have their college degree already as well. 
Yeah. yeah. And in fact, as the program's matured over the years, uh, we, we service a, a large number of alumni who still maintain a connection with our educators long after they leave the campus. Yeah. And I know we've done this before, but I just forget which was the first JLIC campus outside of, uh, I guess, well, which was the first? So it was started on two campuses at Yale University. Uh, my wife and I actually, my wife Leah and I were the first couple <laughs> at, uh, at Yale <laughs> and uh, also at Brandeis University. Very cool. And those obviously continue, and then many have been added. The most recent, would that be the one in Western University that you just mentioned? Actually, our most recent is not in uh, North America at all. We, we've opened the program last year at uh, the IDC in, in Herzliya. Oh, I in remember Israel. this. Right, oh. I remember this. Right. And you have a full-time couple up there? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. I'll tell you, it's a, uh, I, I never understood the need until I really started speaking to the JLIC couples. One of them were among your successors, I don't know where exactly, you know, on the line, in, at Yale. Uh, we were at a Shabbos table together this past, um, uh, this past summer in Stanford, and they are telling me, you know, everything that goes on and, and the work that's required to really help these students and give them that atmosphere that I described earlier, and it's really amazing. They do a great job at it, so collect a vote. All right, let's talk about the guide. The guide, uh, it's called the OUJLIC College Guide 2018, uh, it has up-to-date campus profiles, as we mentioned, for YU and Turo, which are under Jewish auspices, obviously, and then the 21 uh, college campuses under JLIC. Uh, what is the purpose of the guide? Who is it for? Tell us about it. Um, so the purpose of the guide is really to uh, enable students to make, I believe, better educated choices about where they want to attend college from a Jewish perspective. Mm. Um, there's There's a lot of information out there, but much of it is not organized in a way that particularly helpful to a, uh, to a student from a Orthodox day school um, to make really informed decisions about where they want to go, thinking about Jewish life on campus. For example, sometimes people only say, oh, well, this campus has a Hillel or Chabad and has kosher food, but they don't realize that, like, there's many different types of kosher food programs on campus. And, um, you know, they, you know we, we give them advice on how to, um, how to, uh, evaluate and research the university on what are the types of challenges they might find there, um, how to navigate it successfully. Uh, we provide a checklist that they could use to try to better help understand what they themselves, their needs are and you know, who they are coming in in terms of what they might be looking for. Um, and there's a lot of very rich information on specific campuses um, that we hope could be helpful in them as they, as they do their search. Is there a way to subtly... Uh, <laughs> get across the point to students through the guide that there may be challenges on campus regarding attitudes toward Israel, or is that something that you avoid? Um, actually, we do have an article about attitudes towards Israel, um, and it is something that, uh, um, that we do you know, address in the guide. Um, and I, I think partially the, the idea is that we want people to make decisions with their eyes open. Right. Um, um, you know, like the, the challenges you'll find at a place like Turo and YU are obviously um, much less significant than you'll find at a campus, um, a secular college campus, but they're different and they vary. And, um, you know, rather than, um, you know, making decisions without really thinking through what it means to have Jewish life on those campuses and how they're interrelate with it, we want them to be able to research properly. Um, we, we encourage them to visit the campus, to get a sense of things, to speak to students there. Um, one of the things I think is particularly helpful for, for the guide that we put out this year um, is that we have a lot of perspectives from students themselves and from alumni about 
their own uh, uh, experiences, what they've seen, and the challenges that, that, that they've, you know, that they've had to overcome and, you know, some of the opportunities that exist, um, but also, like, how they felt, how they have been able to successfully navigate some of those challenges. So uh, it helps people kind of see ahead, students, uh, prospective students, to think about, you know, who they are and, and uh, hopefully, I, I believe, you know, take religious considerations into account as they're making their choices. Yeah, look, I mean, don't college students and their parents look into, you know, the ones who do the research well. They look into every area, especially the academics, the schedule, the majors, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this has to be a priority. It has to be a priority. If you're if you're a Jewish parent, you have to make this a priority that, you, that your child uh, goes ahead and, and along with you or researches this aspect of campus life because – uh, you know Rabbi Haber, and I'm sure you know all too well from firsthand experience what could happen to Jewish students uh, during you know, the experience of campus life, and if they are better prepared, they have a better chance of having a better experience. Correct, and also I think you know it, it, it forces them hopefully to kind of take a look at themselves and see how well prepared they are, right. um, so they could take those considerations into account. Um, you know, uh, some people thrive better in a smaller community, some in a larger community. Um, you know, like it's one thing to have a, let's say, you know, you you have a kosher dining hall on campus, but one campus, a kosher dining hall, might be located very far from the freshman dorm, so there's less, um, it's less easy to get there and, you know, and eat kosher food, right. while others might have a more pervasive. So there really is subtleties, and I, I think one of the things that we're trying to do is encourage people to take notice of the subtleties, and, you know, rather, rather than making sort of superficial decisions relating to their religious um, uh framework with, you know, the, the four, co- four years of college are some of the most critical years in terms of identity formation, to re- understand that it's part of their college experience, um, in, in addition to their academic study and their social framework, and that it's important for them to understand what that means for themselves. Yeah, well, very important words you're saying, very, very important. I hope people take advantage of this guy. I, I guess, again, it's been a long time since I'm in college. But I would guess that now, December, January, February, this is when students are making all these decisions, right? Uh, correct. Um, I mean, I think now, actually, the, the decision-making process starts in the junior year. Um, oh, good yeah, point. absolutely. Good point. Um, uh, seniors are already doing it. And I, I think, uh, you know, it, the, the decision-making process goes even into the time that students are in Israel um, on right. a gap year program. Right. Um, students sometimes make decisions and then realize that they made you know, the wrong choice for themselves and change their options. And, I'm, and I'm, so it's definitely an ongoing process. I'm sure you've alerted guidance counselors around the quote-unquote Yeshiva League uh, that this guide exists, right? Yeah, yeah, we've made it available. And um, first of all, one of the things that we did this year is, first of all, it's, it's free on Kindle. Uh, you can look it up on Amazon. You can just type in OU-JLIC. And um, if, you want to down, if you want to purchase an actual physical copy of the guide, you can do so. Um, so it's very easily accessible for, for people either to use the free version or to, 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 to purchase it. And uh, we've, we've sent out notices and uh, have publicized it to all the guidance advisors from Orthodox faith schools around the country. Well, very good. All right. Um, as uh, Rabbi Haber just said, the College Guide is available as a print-on-demand book uh, through Amazon as well. Just search, as you just said, O-U-J-L-I-C Guide, right? And as a, Kindle, yeah. a free Kindle ebook as well. And uh, that's through the Kindle app. And if you have any questions regarding the OUJLIC College Guide, you are uh, encouraged to email them, collegeguide at OU.org, collegeguide at OU.org. Rabbi Haber, very, very important information for both students and parents. 
Much appreciated. The guide is uh, is definitely going to be a great resource for a lot of people out there, so thank you for it. Thank you, and, th- and thank you so much for having me on. A pleasure. Anything we could do to help enhance the uh, Jewish life of Jewish students on college campuses, we are all for it. Rabbi Ilan Haber is National Director of JLIC. The JLIC College Guide is out. Check it out for free on Kindle, on your Kindle app, uh, on Amazon. Uh, you could actually purchase a real you know, physical copy of it on Amazon if you wish. Search OUJLIC Guide. And if you have any questions whatsoever, or parents out there, if you have any questions whatsoever, they want to hear from you, collegeguide at OU.org, collegeguide at OU.org. That was my conversation with our Elon Haber of JLIC. Uh, more great music is coming up, and I uh, thank you for tuning in to JM Rewind. JM Rewind every single Tuesday morning, 9 a.m., right after JM in the a.m. Happy Hanukkah from all of us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Hanukkah, Hanukkah, come light the menorah. Let's have a party, we'll all dance the hora. Gather round the table, we'll give you a treat. Dreidels to play with and lacas to eat. Hanukkah, Hanukkah, come light the menorah. Let's have a party, we'll all dance the hora. Gather round the table, we'll give you a treat. To play with the luckers to eat And while we are playing The candles are burning low So low One for each night they shed a sweet light To remind us of days long ago One for each night they shed a sweet light To remind us of days long ago Somewhere far away 
birds.